Welcome to the Austin Forum Upload, the podcast of the Austin Forum on Technology and Society. I'm Jay Boisseau, the Executive Director and Founder of the Austin Forum, and I'm very happy to be here today with Bill Pugh, the co-founder of Smart Connections Consulting. Bill, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Hey, Jay. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm really excited about the conversation. I am too. It was really great running into you last week at the Applied Intelligence Live meeting in Austin. Uh, thank you for being on that panel with me there. Uh, and I realized we have so much more to talk about that I'm glad you were able to fit in a podcast interview so I could really ask you a lot more questions. I appreciate you doing that on short notice. Hey, you know what? Uh, being new to uh, the Texas area, absolutely. And Bill, that's a pretty good lead in. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself uh, and how you got interested in smart infrastructure and what you're doing now in that space? Absolutely. So again, Bill Pugh, co-founder of Smart Connections Consulting, and I kind of got my start uh, in the Bay Area. So I spent a lot of time in the Bay Area and I was an early employee of a smart grid company, uh, Silver Spring Networks. We were, I mean, this is what, circa 2006. And uh, I came in early. Uh, they were going to connect millions of meters. And uh, it was during the, uh, during the time when they were having um, money just thrown at the grid uh, for AMI, uh, Automated Metering Infrastructure. And those stimulus dollars sparked a whole movement around intelligent infrastructure. You're gonna, you're gonna, you know, remotely read your meter. You're gonna start to introduce smart home uh, solutions and things of that nature. And it was that, it was that point that I decided, wow, you know, this is just the beginning. And I, I stayed there for a while, built out their distribution automation line of business. Uh, because if you're going to be a smart grid company, you should monitor and maintain the grid. And I looked at that and said, all right, well, let's keep going. Uh, distributed energy resources came into play and you started to see these verticals start to converge. Uh, once that company went public, I joined another company, um, Sensity Systems. That company was a lighting retrofit company that had designs on using the lighting infrastructure for smart city solutions. They were acquired by Verizon. At that point, I kind of sat at home for a bit and, and thought about it and said, you know, there is clearly a gap when you start to talk about smart city and you start to talk about smart grid. I, it felt to me like you need to have a, a real convergence of the two spaces. You can't have a smart city without a smart grid. And so at that point, I talked to my wife and we decided to start Smart Connections Consulting as a, as a movement to try to bridge those two. And that was right around 2012, 2013. And I started working with a number of cities got into uh, the data side of it where I realized that the cities do have a lot of data, but a lot of the other players in the space kept wanting to add more devices and more devices. You really should be leveraging the city's existing data and helping them you know, benefit from that uh, as opposed to you know, kind of exacerbating the problem by adding more and more devices that spew out more and more data, and you're not really, you know, fixing the real problem. So 
I decided that um, it was it was a good thing. Let's go and try to help the cities. And in the meantime, we can pull the utilities into that. And uh, here I am now in Austin and um, trying to do it the real way uh, with with all of the Austin, uh, all of the Texas cities and the utilities associated with it. Well, I'm certainly glad someone of your passion and expertise is here working on smart grids. I think the nation knows we've had one or two issues with our power grid over the last several years. So I'm actually going to get into that. Now, why don't we get on the same get our listeners on the same page with us? And can you define what we mean by a smart grid or smart communities and cities or smart transportation? Let's talk about, you know, at a very high level, what's the definition of smart infrastructure? Smart infrastructure, uh, by definition, is infrastructure that is, it's critical infrastructure that has uh, the ability, the intelligence built in. So this is communications, this is software, this is firmware, uh, this is cybersecurity measures uh, that are built in to help heal itself if there's ever been an attack, if there are uh, power outages, it has battery backup, it has a multiple um, transport mechanisms. So it's cellular, it's broadband, it's other wireless technologies and the, and, and the compute capability that you would find in the cloud pushed out to the edge. And that, that in, you know, kind of encompasses what, what intelligent infrastructure is and how it ties to the city or the utility is is multifold. Uh, I've always been a firm believer that uh, a smart city is not something that should happen to you. It should happen for you. So there should be benefits that are garnered from uh, those the, the providers, the solution providers to the cities for the the citizens or the residents of the city. Likewise, from a utility perspective, that intelligent infrastructure and those solutions should benefit the city as well as the residents within the city, but through uptime and through other benefits when it when it's related to the electrification uh, portion of it, because you're starting to see a lot more on the EV adoption side, mm -hmm. uh, the distributed energy resources. Um, likewise, you know, when you're looking at uh, solar and wind and hydro. These are the energy sources that we should be leveraging to reduce the carbon emissions and you know, fossil fuel use. So that the, that kind of, you know, for me, builds up the intelligent infrastructure. Th thanks for that big picture overview. I want to get into something that you addressed there. You said uh, smart cities shouldn't happen to you. They should happen for you. Um, I think people are sometimes nervous about embedding all of these sensors and embedding this intelligence in the infrastructure. But as you said, it's something that's really for you and it's for healing itself. It's for resiliency, but it's for many other reasons as well. Can you talk about some of the advantages of making our infrastructure systems smarter? Absolutely. Let's, I mean, when you look at the uh, what a city actually does, those that work within the city, um, operational efficiency for them is important. It allows them to deliver better services to the residents and to the citizens of the city, those that are visiting the city. And, and there are many different areas where that's beneficial and useful. Uh, prime example would be if there's a pothole in the road and people are just constantly you know, rolling through it and they're like, when are they gonna fix these things? 
Well, if there are image sensors that are built in, then the city can easily see that, oh, wait a minute, there's a pothole there. Let's initiate a work order and roll a truck out there to solve that faster than the citizens or the residents picking up the phone and calling the city and saying, there is one. Uh, someone uh, picks up that call, writes it, writes it down, pushes it over to public works, public works issue. I mean, now you're 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 really streamlining the overarching process which creates efficiencies across the board. And likewise, it, on, the, on the utility side, uh, in the, when you start looking at the outages that take place, when an outage takes place, most of the time, the city, uh, the utilities won't even know until people start calling them up saying, hey, my power's out. And that's how they collect to determine that, you know, it's out in this zone or in this region. When you start to make the infrastructure intelligent, that being from the substation down to the point of service, now you can put in automation. And that would be, uh, there's a term in the utility space called FLISR, Fault Location Isolation and System Restoration. And what that does is it recognizes anomalies along the lines and it switches and recloses to minimize the outage area. Every utility is looking to have their uptime, you know, in the five nines. Uh, but it's it's only when you when you make the uh, infrastructure intelligent that these uh, these types of service level agreements can be met. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of the smart cities approach. In fact, I created and led for a few years the Austin Smart City Alliance, and we didn't make as much progress as I would have liked. We had a couple of very successful projects, but it's a challenge to do this. Um, but the benefits are so great that it always frustrated me that it was a challenge because you, you just want to explain to people, hey, this can make your lives easier. It can make things safer. It can make things more resilient. You mentioned the efficiency part there as well. It can make new capabilities for you as well. So there's so much, you know, we use these devices in all of our life uh, from smartphones and laptops and computers to what, what have you, these digital technologies are, are making things easier for us. And they can do this in the built environment as well. Uh, they can help monitor that environment. They can help heal that environment. They can help improve the efficiency of that environment. And they can help with human utilization of that environment. So I'm glad that you're a champion for these things. Um, I want to dive in next to what are some of the key technologies and techniques needed to make grids and roads and cars smarter? You know, I'm going to start with the foundation. Um, I mean, we talk a lot about, you know, the use of data or AI or ML and everything like that. You're never going to get any of that unless you have connectivity. And so broadband connectivity is paramount, which is, in my opinion, the core right that everyone should have. So I, I'll start with that as the as the foundation, because any other network that's coming off of that fiber should be, just be an adjacency. It's solving a specific use case or it's used uh, for a specific use case and extending that out to the rural and 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 agricultural areas is only going to make things better. So we'll say that networks across the board uh, are, are what we need. Then we need to not bring all of that data back to the cloud. So we need edge presence. And, and what I mean by that is all of these devices, if you look at your cell phone, the storage and compute power that your cell phone has is equal to that of a computer. 
So we need to put these devices out at the edge so that you can start to make localized decisions uh, as opposed to sending everything back, analyzing that data, sending it back down. And you know, you're, you're defeating your purpose of, of reducing uh, greenhouse gas emissions and things of that nature. So um, start to make decisions more at the edge. Um, cyber physical security is paramount. Uh, no device should ever come onto the network without trust. Likewise, it should not be allowed to send data just to anything and everyone. So there's a trust element. There's a cybersecurity element in terms of uh, critical vulnerability exposures are going to happen every single day. Uh, you need to have a remediation process. So these agencies, the cities, need to be adept at dealing with these types of things uh, and have programs and processes in place. And I think that that's what we're getting at when you know you, you speak of terms like digital transformation. Mm -hmm. uh, cities and utilities and the infrastructure associated with it has been around for decades without real transformation. And we're at the inflection point for that transformation. Absolutely, and that leads me right to my next question, which is, why has this taken so long? We There's lots of benefits. We've already covered them. We've seen astounding progress in most technologies and in many applications of those technologies. What's holding back smart infrastructure? Is it regulatory? Is it financial? Is it technology limitations? Is it human concerns? Is it some combination of these? It's all of the above. It is all of the above. I mean, the I think that we've homogenized so much when we're looking at, you know, oh, smart cities. Okay, well, who what is a smart city? And and it's different for each city. Uh there's there's the funding piece of it. I mean, again, cities have been operating uh the way that they have for decades, 20, 30, 40 years without real change. And, and that in part kind of is the problem. Uh, there's the RFP process and RFP process is, is put out and they select a supplier for a specific problem. Internal of the city, there's an, a challenge with data sharing. There's a challenge with knowledge and technical knowledge. Um, so, and, and I mean, again, I'll, I'll go back to the funding, the, the budgetary cycle within a city is not as fluid as we would like it to be. And right. it needs to be, uh, so that presents a challenge in and of itself because this transformation is going to cost, uh, any solution that you put in place is going to have a capital cost nine times out of 10, and then an operational cost. And the resources that the, that the majority of cities have are not equipped to deal with bringing on all of these new solutions and new technologies and new processes. And it, it just changes everything. So, so there's an inside out approach that needs to be recognized. And that is cities need to make the changes inside in order to affect the changes outside. And that's the whole conversation we have about IT versus OT. Um, you know, then there's the residents and citizen concern uh, because you're, you're putting up 
you go out and you look around, you're, they're putting up things on light poles. They're putting up things on traffic signals. They're putting, you know, sensors and cameras and everything everywhere without the full education um, being received. And so it's incumbent upon the city or those that are working with the city to help that citizen engagement piece and communicate to the residents and the citizens and everything uh, what it is, how they're securing it, why it's not a privacy risk, what they're doing to secure their data and what the benefits are. Um, I, you know, a prime example is a number of uh, people will say, look at those traffic cameras that are sitting on the, on the, the, the arms, they're monitoring speed. Well, no, they're not. Some cases they are, but they're not those cameras. Those cameras are detection cameras and they're counting and they're providing input to the traffic uh, team um, about you know the, the congestion, traffic congestion and things of that nature. So, I mean, I think there's all sides of it. Then there's the regulate regulatory piece uh, and policy. Um, I mean, you, you're seeing tech exceed uh, in from a velocity perspective, the ability for policy creation and standards creation and everything else to keep up with it. So tech is leading and policy is following. Uh, so there's that as well. Yeah, thank you for that great summation. And that tracks with my own experience as well. Um, uh, you know, cities do have limited budgets. Um, they're not small, but they have limited flexibility in these budgets because so much has to go for operational services of maintaining the roads and fire and uh, emergency uh, services and police services and so on. And there's always some construction projects and maintenance projects, et cetera. And the amount of discretionary flexible funding is often small. And smart city projects, by definition, if they're going to cover the entire city, probably aren't cheap. You can do pilot projects that are small, but to blanket the entire city is large. And then you've got regulatory issues. One wonderful thing about cities is city governments are tasked with taking care of everybody in the city. You know, a private sector company can sell a smartphone to whoever can afford it, but a city has to take care of everybody. And I love that about cities, but it does provide some, some, uh, constraints on the chances they can take on the rollout of services that have to be shown to be beneficial to everybody and so on. Um, so, you know, regulatory, the financial issues, the technology limitations are really not it. I mean, we have the technologies to make our infrastructure smarter and perform better and be more resilient and more efficient. It's really kind of all the other things. And you alluded to also the human concerns. Um, and you mentioned the education factor. And I appreciate that because just because you hang something on a light pole doesn't mean it has to be tracking you, the individual person, and, and noting your identity. What people forget is that in, in the era of film, yes, images were chemically etched into the film. But in the era of these CCD detectors, which is what all cameras are these days, you can digitally scramble identifiable features at the edge before it's ever communicated to any cloud service or data center or anything. So we actually have technology solutions for most of the human concerns. It's really the education on the human concerns and then smart regulation and policy management, but somewhere that funding has to be there. And it's smart cities is one of those things where private sector has not found great traction in monetizing their solutions yet. Uh, consumer, business, yes. Community, bigger challenge. 
much bigger challenge, much bigger. And I and I think you 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 hit it uh, on the head with that. Is uh, the the like, like we both said the the budgets are limiting with respect to broad scale uh, deployment. And even if a city rolls out uh, fiber everywhere, when you start to get to some of the underserved communities, uh, you have to now educate as well because you've got you've got some of your senior community that is not they're they're not computer savvy so we have to help bring them up to speed and and teach them how to use some of these digital services that are that are being rolled out by the cities and so there's an economic development piece of it there are so many other facets that are not tech centric but people-centric, which again is why I say smart city is not something that should happen to you, should happen for yeah, you. I like that. I'm going to borrow that. Thanks, Bill. <laughs> um, so one more question about some of the, the challenges before we get to the vision for the future. And that is, uh, my impression is that efforts in building smart public places slowed greatly during the pandemic. Um, even if private enterprise was still building smart factories and smart buildings, the efforts toward sort of smart public places and smart public infrastructure understandably seemed to fade a bit during the pandemic when people weren't going out in public as much. Do you see a resurgence in these smart communities and smart cities efforts now that the pandemic, I never want to call it over, but now that it's not a declared national emergency, are you seeing a resurgence in interest in smart public infrastructure? I am. Um, during the pandemic, it shifted from from that, you know, from the we'll say the the shiny objects, right? Um, all the things that were being done to, you know, a recognition that the foundation was not where it should have been uh, when everyone was staying home and you had you know distance learning and you had remote workforce and everything like that. The bandwidth, you know, from the already deployed broadband was just falling apart. So they had to turn their attention to shoring that up as, as well as, you know, the change, the human change, you know, we're not going back to work anytime soon. So we have to change how all of this kind of functions and operates. Uh, once we started opening things back up, the new norm was somewhat of a balance. It was a balancing act. And now the concept of the infrastructure bill lit a fire under everyone because it was a you know a recognition that uh, climate change is absolutely a problem. We've got to do something about that. Uh, the air quality is absolutely a problem. We've got to do something about that. Uh, ice in internal combustion engine vehicles is a problem. We've got to do something about that. So there were, if anyone has taken a look at the infrastructure bill, you see everything in there and it's driven towards the, the, the critical infrastructure piece. And I'm glad that they're doing that because that is the foundation of it. I'm still, uh, uh, I, I think I'm still a bit curious. Um, and, and I think you and I talked about this at Applied Intelligence. They're really not investing in the largest piece of infrastructure that we have, and that is the roads. Yeah. Um, you know, I have to give huge credit to the infrastructure bill and the the 
you know, hundreds, maybe it's thousands actually of projects across the country that it is funding to, to build and improve our nation's infrastructure. But it does strike me that that was, I don't want to say a blind spot, but maybe not the highest priority in the infrastructure bill. Right. Yeah. Right. I, you know, one of the things that's always driven me crazy about this move towards autonomous vehicles, I'm pro autonomous vehicles, but I'm even more pro connected autonomous vehicles and connected to the road infrastructure. We keep trying to make cars drive like people instead of taking advantage of their computational characteristics and of the ability to talk to sensors and instrumenting the roads and signage and cars in such a way that you have much more information coming in to make even better autonomous decisions. Do you see any progress on the connected autonomous vehicles front? I, I'm Everything I'm seeing is about autonomous vehicles, but not the connectivity part. Uh, you know, I, I feel like that is a fractured uh, market right now. Uh, I mean, there there were various, and, and rather than approach it the way that you're speaking about it, it's being approached with respect to, well, what communication technologies can we use? And and it's it's walking the the conversation around V to I. All right, so vehicle to infrastructure, okay, mm -hmm. got it. And now V to V, well, it seems to me that you would have as uniform a communications infrastructure as possible. So V to V should communicate the same way that V to I communicates the same, communicates the same way that yeah. everything else does. So you have a unified uh, communications platform. I, I, I think that it's still being... Um, Again, it's still being battled. Um, some areas, and this is again why I say city to city, state to state, things are are so different. They're unique. Every one of them is a snowflake. Um, but it, it's going to have to it's going to have to straighten itself out. Be again, the technology is leading policy, which is leading standards and everything else. Um, but they've kind of got to bring those, all those elements together. So it's got to be road, vehicle, infrastructure, all communicating the same. Agreed. Now I'm going to ask you the, the big final question, Bill. What is your vision for how you want a smart world to look five to 10 years from now? And it can it could include this connected autonomous vehicles and infrastructure. You could talk about power grids. You could talk about safety. What is your vision? for smart community cities and places, public places in the five to 10 year timeframe? I think that we have to start making the move to uh, truly something like community energy storage. Um, you know, I, I, I think that that has to happen just from a resilience perspective. You'll, you know, there are, there are those that don't have the, the funding to actually put solar on their home. Well, why should they be left out and uh, the home that actually has solar and storage and EVs be all good? So I, I think that we have to start approaching it from a community perspective and make our way out and, and you know, every resilience for all, if you will. Um, I think that even the vehicle side of it, I think should be more on demand. So I'm in I'm in line with autonomous vehicle and being able to call a vehicle when I need a vehicle on demand. Um, I think that we have to bring the underserved community up to par. Um, and what I mean by that is there are things that should be equitable across the board. 
And those things should, you know, handset, handheld devices, they should have those. They should have the same, you know, capabilities that, that you or I have, or anyone that goes out and buys one has. Um, broadband communication should be not just, when I say underserved community, I'm talking about them all. The agricultural right. and rural areas need it as much as everyone else does. Um, so I, I see a world where you get up, your your calendar is known, and if you need a ride to a location, you get you get that ride without having to go get in your car and com and contribute to uh, the traffic that we see today. Uh, you get dropped off wherever it is that you that you need it, and because your calendar can communicate with other vehicles, it says, "Hey, I'm leaving at this time. I need a vehicle at this location. Show up." and you're taken back home. Um, something along those lines and, and energy is no longer a, a challenge. You're not fraught with, uh, are we gonna have an outage? Do, you know, those that are, that are um, uh, ill and need their medical equipment to stay up uh, are not worried about uh, losing that power, uh, things of those nature. So I, I'm, I'm seeing a much more connected world and the connectivity and the data being used for your own purposes and the good of mankind across the board. I love that uh, distributed uh, store, uh, energy storage throughout the community, uh, broadband for absolutely everyone, uh, aut automatic autonomous transportation when you need it to where you need it. I love this world. I want to live in your world, Bill. I hope we can <laughs> bring that world in in five or 10 years. Thank you for joining us on the Austin Forum Upload. It's been great having you. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Austin Forum Upload. You can listen to additional episodes and check out a schedule of our monthly in-person events at austinforum.org. The Upload is a production of the Austin Forum on Technology and Society, a nonprofit organization here in Austin, Texas.